Доброе утро. Good morning. I hope you are doing well today. It's, uh, I was expecting to see a much larger crowd. This happens in our church service. Um, I, I get to preach after our worship team finishes, and so uh, when, we, when we change our time, uh, uh, we, we have people show up by the time I finish preaching. So uh, it's nice to have two services today so that uh, I get to actually, I got to practice on the first service, and today uh, I hope uh, the, the sermon is going to be uh, even, um, even better. Uh, I'm, I'm always excited uh, to come and share, but um, today's a special, first of all, um, the reason is this is my first time to actually uh, preach from this stage. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've, you've got used to this facility and this is, you know, uh, you know, you know, something new. But for me, this is like exciting. This is like preaching in a new church, seeing you so excited, so smiling. Everything's so awesome. So uh, just uh, excited for you. And uh, uh, every time I preach, and especially when I come to the States, but every time I preach, I try to share something uh, specific from the Word of God, and I try to uh, highlight something that will make people, um, you know, wow, you know, say wow or be encouraged. But uh, you know, so that then when they leave, they leave with one specific thought. Uh, I, I was sitting and, and thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to speak on missions. What am I? What should I say? I mean, because I've already preached, you know, a number of times on, the, on, on this topic back home, uh, visiting the United States, and as I was uh, uh, looking through. Uh, my notes, looking, uh, reading through the Word of God, there was an email that landed on my desktop. Now, the email was titled, it was an article titled, 10 Reasons Not to Become a Missionary. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, I travel to U.S. and I consider myself a missionary to U.S. on these trips. And uh, I try to encourage people to actually be a part of missions, to be excited about missions, to see mission, you know, the world as a missionary field. Why would I why, would I, why do I need an article that says how not to become a missionary? And of course, as I was reading it, uh, I began to understand what uh, the author meant. Now, I titled today's sermon is uh, uh, in a little bit of a Shakespearean uh, uh, way, uh, a missionary, to be or not to be. And of course, from the Word of God, we know that to be. Now, the question that we have usually is how? How am I supposed to be a missionary? Now, as I was reading his article, there were several things that came up. And I'm going to point out a couple. First of all, uh, the article said, do not become a missionary if you uh, are trying to become a missionary to make yourself better. What that means is that if you go on the mission field and, uh, you know, you're not really living here a Christian life. You're so, so Christian. Um, you're not really following the Lord. You're not really honoring Him. And then you think, well, once I get there, there I will become a good spiritual person. There, suddenly, my Christian life is going to have full meaning, and I will live out my Christian life. Do not become a missionary to, to do that, because once you end up on the mission field, you will not be prepared to face the battles that are there. The second thing that was interestingly you know, pointed out is that if you cannot hack the transition, and if you aren't willing to change, do not become a missionary. Now, if you've ever been on a mission trip anywhere, if you've, uh, you, know, you sit down, you make a plan, you have meetings every week, you write out what you're going to do every day, where you're going to travel, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, who you're going to talk to. You train how to share the Word of God. You come to the airport and you throw away the book. Because suddenly, from the time you show up to the airport, things begin to go not in the way you plan. That's why the first word they teach you in a missionary school is flexibility. You have to be able to adjust. And there were several other things that were pointed out. Uh, one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting 
And I had heard people say that, you know, that uh, you know, it says that do not become a missionary if you think that living on support is a piece of cake. And some people say, yeah, you know, you don't have to have a job eight to five. You know, you don't really have to work hard. You just, you know, just, just tell, let people know what you do and they just support you. Other people say, well, yeah, we understand, but it really does wonders to your faith. You know, a lot of people say, you know, living on faith, you know, living on support is great. And I tell you, as, you know, as a missionary, fundraising, living on support does wonders to your faith. I mean, it gets strong. Trusting God to provide for your church, for your staff, for your family. The problem is that when your faith being built up, fundraising does something to your personal self-image. It does something to your relationships, and it's not really good. Well, first of all, you know, you, you start, you, you know, seeing yourself and, you know, a little bit of, you know, like, I don't want to see myself as a beggar. Worse, you know, I want to see myself as a, as a vacuum cleaner salesman who comes and knocks on the door, goes to the same neighborhood, knocks on the doors and says, look at this wonderful vacuum cleaner. It does these wonderful things. And I mean, you've, you, some of you may have done this job. Some of you may have had those guys knock on your door. And the issue is that you are the only people I know. And so when I come every year, I knock on the same doors. And some people say, oh, Eugene again. Eugene again. I, I hope you are excited, as Dave said. I was like, you know, I really hope that you are excited. But you know what? I've got this situation. I've got a problem. I grew up in a country. Now, the last, the last thing was there. Let me go back for, for a second. The last thing was there. Do not become a missionary to find cool friends. Now, that spoke to me the most. Because a lot of times people don't have friends here. But they think once I go there, people are going to like me. People are going to love me. I'm going to make good friends. And that happens, but just for a little time. And they get to know you. Now, I grew up. In a situation where I didn't have much friends, many friends at all. I grew up in a country where I was Jewish, and the only friend that I can actually point my finger into and say his name was also Yevgeny, he was also Jewish, and when I was in the third grade, he left for Israel. So I grew up without having many friends at all. In fact, people that called me, uh, called me their friends, they sort of forced me to be their friend. They kind of got me into their gang, and I was sort of their friend. And I grew up in a country that didn't like the Jews. So I grew up not liking the people. I didn't like the Soviet people. I heard stories from my grandmother, uh, my grandmother's sister, who ended up in Gulag at age 18. She was sent to Siberia for being a member of the Zionist family. At age 28, she finally was able to escape from Siberia to uh, somewhere in Kazakhstan and was hiding under somebody else's name until Khrushchev's time. I knew my parents couldn't get good jobs because they were Jewish. And I grew up not liking Soviet people. And the Soviet people didn't like me. I didn't like the Russians. I didn't like Moldovans because when I grew up, everybody was supposed to speak Russian. And if you spoke Moldovan or Romanian, uh, it's basically a similar language, then you were of a lesser class because Moldovans, oh, they were not Russians. And so I grew up not liking Moldovans and Romanians. They were always t teaching us that Moldovans and Romanians, they were Nazis. Because, you know, when Hitler came with Nazis, Romanians came with him. And it's a sad fact, yes, that the ghetto in Kishina was organized by the Romanian army. And so if you were to speak Romanian, you were going to speak the language of the Nazis. So I, of course, you know, I'm Jewish. I'm not going to like Nazis. So I hate Russians. I hate Moldovans. I grew up hating Westerners. I remember as a little child, I'm sitting and watching Winter Olympics. 
And there's a break for a news. And the lady, I, I'm, actually I don't really remember if it was a lady or a man, but I remember vividly that it was an interruption for the bobsled team. And the Soviet bobsled team was doing good. And suddenly there's an interruption. And the news channel talks about how the Americans and this Reagan guy wants to nuke us Soviet citizens. And I was like, why are they so bad? Why are they trying to kill us? Then I go uh, with my dad to Kiev, Ukraine, and we're standing in line to go to a museum. I'm probably six or seven years old. And the lady behind us with her husband, they're, they're nice people. They didn't speak the same language. They might have been American. They might have been English. They might have been from a socialist country. But they were handing me a bubble gum, and I started crying, sincerely believing that they're trying to poison me. I didn't like Westerners. And you wonder, how can this kid end up being a missionary? I mean, you don't like people you live among. You don't like people you live next to. You don't live in, like people who live far away from you. In fact, I came to church because a buddy of mine asked me to go to that church and beat up a guy. I didn't like Christians. At, when I was in third grade, a guy showed up, after, you know, probably some propaganda guy from Soviet military, who was teaching us, he was telling us how he was a son of Adventists of Seventh Day and how they were going to eat him and how they put him in the well and they were starving him to death. And then the Soviet people came and saved him and sent him to Soviet military. And now he's the only happy person in the world. And I was afraid of Christians. I decided I will be an atheist. I didn't like anybody. How in the world can somebody like me become a missionary? And you say, well, that guy's messed up. But you know what? It's not just for me that it's hard to love people. I bet it's also hard for you to love people. Now, sometimes, those of you who are on Facebook, don't you wish there was a button like that? You know? And it's really hard for me sometimes to put that like, you know, some, under some articles. And you wish there was some button like a, a, a strong dislike. Can I delete this guy from Facebook? It's hard for us to love the friends on Facebook. It's hard for us to love the people that are far away from us but that are intent to destroy us. It's hard for us to love the people that their whole purpose in life is to destroy our families, to destroy our way of living because they hate us. It's hard to love the people that lie to you. They may say one thing in your eyes and say, oh, I'm your friend. But as soon as you turn around, they put a knife in your back. They steal what's not theirs. It's really hard to love the people. It's really hard to love the people that want to destroy the way of life, the way of your family, destroy your children. A Moldovan parliament member, the only evangelical Christian in the Moldovan parliament, was appointed to be the ambassador to the United States several months ago. An awesome thing. A Christian evangelical Christian would represent Moldova. You know what happened? The LGBT community decided they don't want an evangelical Christian representing Moldova. He's too bigoted. So they wrote emails and letters to Moldovan government, to the U.S. government, to the embassy of the United States. And you think, you know, what, what, what kind of a say-so would American government has to say about who's going to represent Moldova? I mean, Moldova appoints those who represent Moldova. But it did so happen that somebody from U.S. State Department picked up the phone, called somebody in Moldova State Department. They talked and they said, eh, maybe you can, you, can, you can send somebody else. Maybe not that type of a person. And so the career of one man went to nothing. It's really hard to love those people because they're intent to destroying you. But, you know, you say, I agree with you. But let's make it a little bit more personal. It's really hard to love that guy on the other side of the fence. You know, he gets his leaf blower going and he's cleaning his yard and somehow miraculously a lot of leaves end up on your lawn. How do you deal with that? If I, if I ask you, can you tell me a story of your neighbor? I bet you got a story. In the fall, I was actually in Midland, Texas, ready to preach. October 31st, I'm in the States, I'm ready to preach. 
but I have a jet lag, so I wake up at 5 in the morning. I'm ready to start getting ready for the sermon, and I get an email from my wife who says, I need you to go to Amazon store, and I need you to buy a whistle that will make a dog shut up. You see, my neighbor in a small one-bedroom one, one apartment with his family decided that they have a lot of space. So they got a little puppy, very nice puppy. He's very likable. He had big paws. I thought that that had to do something. Like, I thought there was something wrong with this puppy, just big paws. Four months later, that big little puppy that, that it was so nice and cute became a great Dane. And when that great Dane at 3 in the morning begins to talk to the other dogs outside, he goes, woof, woof. And my wife says, bring me a whistle that will make this dog shut up because it's just across the wall. Now, if you think it's going to help you, it's a scam. It doesn't work. I got two whistles. Neither works. But it is also hard to love people who are closest to you. Sometimes your wife, your children, your spouse, your parents, the people that you are, you're supposed to love them. You told them that you love them. But sometimes it's one of the hardest things. So see, it's not only me who is messed up. I think we are as humans have a hard time expressing that love. Moreover, we have the Word of God that makes this so, so important. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. It seems that Jesus, who was upon His birth hated, persecuted, people were looking to kill Him to the very last day on His earth when He breathed His last breath, people who killed Him. And He's facing these people, and the Word of God does say, though, that He loved. So I look at my life, and I look at the life of Jesus, and I think, how? The first commandment, if you remember, it says... Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? It's easy to love God. Now, we don't act like we love God sometimes, but it's easy to love God. After all, all the good things are from the Father of heavenly lights. All the good gifts that we receive are from above. It's from the Lord. And so, we're not going to say, God, I hate you. We're going to say, oh, God, I love you. Yes. I, I. And by the way, here's my Christmas list, right? But the issue is that this is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. You should love the neighbor as yourself. That's where I get in trouble. That's where I have a hard time. So the Word of God seems to underline this major problem. And even Paul is going and he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I'm thinking, what a great man. Because I can become anything to love that neighbor with that great day. Now the question is, how in the world did God make me a missionary who works with Russian speakers, partners with Westerners, learned a little bit of Romanian, in fact, became a Romanian citizen, how in the world would God take somebody like me and use me to share the gospel to the ends of the earth? The bigger question is, how can He take you and change your life and unexpectedly make you love the closest to you and those far? How can we love the world? Now, you heard of the five languages of love, right? It's, uh, you know, for those of you who didn't, uh, there's a Christian counselor who wrote an interesting book who describes that among the relationships with husbands and wives, there is this uh, way of us, we show our love in different ways. For example, I give big gifts. I, I cannot give my wife one flower or three flowers. When I bring her flowers, I buy her a bunch. But you know, the issue with her, it doesn't matter how many flowers I bring. Because her language of love is not, is not gift. I mean, she loves flowers. But she would personally prefer I spend more quality time with her. So I find that giving her a gift is not going to change anything. Speaking to her for 30 minutes to an hour on the phone every day while I'm away, especially on FaceTime, taking long walks, having conversations, that's what shows her that I love her. Hey, husband, sometimes, you know, your wife 
cooks this wonderful meal for you. And you come home, and your wife thinks he surely knows through taking care of him and by, by, by making home this wonderful place and cooking this meal, he surely knows I love him. But you, husband, you know that you wish she turned to you. And it would make more powerful difference in your life if she turned to you and said, Honey, I appreciate how much effort you put into making a living for our, for, for our family. You know what? I'm so proud of you because your language of love is words of appreciation. And her language of love is acts of service. Wives, sometimes, you know, he can come in and give you this wonderful necklace. I mean, he's been working and saving money, and he's, he's you know, he comes in and he just gives you this necklace and these beautiful pearls, you know, and some matching earrings and probably even a ring. And he thinks, she definitely knows I love her. Man, I, I worked hard to get that for her. But what you know, if he actually did stand next to you, and while you are emptying out the dishwasher, he wiped the dishes. While you're ironing, he actually stood next to you and maybe offered to do something else and, and, and did some service for you. You would feel so much more loved, right? Because we all have different languages of love. But the interesting thing is that I've learned is that we, are never been, we have never been designed. We have never been designed to live that perfect life. I mean, initially, before the fall. But this Christian life that we're expected, this love that we're expected to show, on our own, we cannot show it. I don't have it in me to show love to some of the closest people, to my mother, to my wife. But there is a secret. Jesus can. Because Jesus has shown that he was able to live this perfect life and express his love throughout his entire life. And in missions, if you take these five languages of love, you can actually apply them to the mission field, not just to yourself. For example, do you know you can provide food for your children in the orphanages? You can make Christmas boxes and Christmas gifts. You can, you can actually take, the, you know, you go to the orphanage, you bring them coats, you bring them shoes, you bring them gifts. And we think that we're making a huge difference in their life, right? After all, they need those coats because they're cold. After all, they need those sweets and those bananas and those things that we bring, those oranges. We, we know they need that. But, you know, when you show up in the orphanage, you realize you're speaking a wrong language. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this because they need those clothes. They need those gifts. They make a difference. But when you come to an orphanage and you hand that box to that kid, he's going to take the box, put it aside, and he's going to hug you. And he's not going to let go. And he's going to hold you for as long as he can. And he's going to be standing next to you. And this girl is going to be walking with you wherever you are. Because their language of love, their need is physical touch. Because nobody touches them with love, with true care. Elderly. In Moldova, when we do ministry with the elderly, we find out that their language of love is quality time. When they're sitting alone at home. And you bring them those, that food, you know, in Moldova, an average, the government says you need to make the minimum base, what they call the minimum basket, is $200. My mother recently retired. Her retirement is $25. So you wonder, how does she leave? So, yes, you do need to bring them some physical help. But when we sit down, we realize that is important. But when we ask them, would you tell us your story? Can we tell you our story? We spend some time talking. Suddenly, you see how their heart opens up and how they begin to experience the love of Jesus. So you can actually provide acts of service by going to another country. you got teams going different far parts of the world. I pray there's one day team from this church, big team coming to work with us. Camps, urban camps, construction. I actually had two gentlemen over the next two days say, I am probably coming to Moldova on construction trip in the fall. So if you're interested, talk to me on email. I'll connect you with them. They're from this church already. 
And they're excited about doing some construction in Moldova. There's possibilities. You can do acts of service, words of appreciation. You can encourage a missionary, send them an email. Of course, gift giving, I mean, that's a given. I mean, just, you know, that's what, you know, missionaries, gift giving, you know. Quality time. Hey, let's go out to dinner. Let's go out to lunch. Let's spend some time together. Go to, to, to Moldova and visit an elderly person. Physical touch. Provide that hug to those that need it. Jesus is the one who is able to do this through us. We were never designed to live that Christian life. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I know there was going to be another sermon sometime in the fall on this passage because you're going through Romans, but how in the world am I able to train people to go to Muslim countries as a Jew? How am I able to send people to go to Russia, people who don't like me? How am I able to be a missionary? There's a secret. It's not me. It's all Jesus. I'm still a nobody who came to church to beat up a guy. And without Christ, I'm nothing. And if there's anything to be said about this Moldovan ministry that has been built and what the Lord is doing, it's all the Lord. And I hope when I'm gone, nobody's going to know this. Because the Lord is doing His work. And as we're letting Him love through us, as we're presenting our bodies as living sacrifice, that is what Paul was saying when he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Who lives? If it's not me, he says, Christ lives in me. And the life which I might live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know the grace message. You know that you are not designed to love the world. But if you let Christ, he will love the world. Starting here with Georgetown and to the ends of the earth. We do different things in Moldova. I mean, I can tell you, you know, all wonderful things. We do urban camps. For example, we found out if you take kids... Most parents want their kids to learn English from the very early age because we are a small country. We're westward uh, moving. Uh, English is an international language. So we found if we offer English classes for kids to five to seven, their parents are actually going to be bringing them. And so the parents are waiting for their kids to start while we're teaching those kids English. We are able to work with the parents in a nearby room. And some of the parents are actually willing to even pay us to share the gospel with their children and with them. These are wonderful opportunities in urban setting. You know, working with small children, working with the elderly. Maria, at age 18, converted from Eastern Orthodoxy. Her father was an Eastern Orthodox priest. She was told by the Communist Party, if you turn away and become an atheist, you have a future. So she did. She told her father, I will no longer believe. And so she became famous. She started singing. She can show you different clippings from papers where she and her choir were singing all over the former Soviet Union and beyond the different countries. But when we found her, she was a forgotten person. After a stroke, shaken, barely speaking, broken heart because she could no longer sing after the stroke. We came and brought her some food and we asked her to share with us her story. Of course, she did. Then we shared with her with, with her story of Jesus and she found Jesus. She, she, today, she's a prayer warrior. When you come to KBC, and David, I'm sure you, you talk to Maria. She comes in, and she's, she, her hand is still shaking. But as she's holding your hand, she will tell you. And she'll say, oh, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for Irina. I'm praying for Sergey. I'm praying for Olga. I'm praying for Slava. And she'll give you the list of everybody she's praying And she's going to, I'm praying for God to bless you. I'm praying for God to bless you with children. I'm praying for God to bless. I mean, she's already, she's, I mean, she's praying. And I mean, she's so sincere in her faith. She's one of the biggest encouragements for us. Some of them come to know the Lord. Some of them don't. Vasily is a World War II veteran. In fact, we have about 70 to 90 families on a given month that we're visiting. We have a team of four workers and a number of volunteers that go and visit those families monthly by using 
opportunities to provide them food. You know, we built food bags, providing them staples, sugar, flour, cooking oil. And as we go to their homes, we pray God would allow us to change their lives. So we take kids. We take elderly. We take teenagers. Okay, I need some interaction here. Who can play Uno or Phase 10, one of the two games? Would you raise your hand if you know how to play Uno or Phase 10? All right. You can be a missionary. You are qualified. You know what? You come out in Moldova next to a public school. There is some grass next to that field. You break out a blanket, take out Uno or Phase 10, start playing. You're going to have kids coming and swarming around you. They want to learn how to play that. And you can build that relationship. And you can share the Lord Jesus Christ with them. We come out on these fields, then we, of course, play soccer. Then, no, this is not a photo from soccer. This was more fun. That's shooting water balloons at each other with the slingshot, you know. I like, them. I like America and how you can come up with these little things. I, I don't think Moldovans would ever, ever thought of, like, well, let's get some balloons and shoot at each other. It's like, so we need Americans with your ideas, you know, come and actually help us run VBS. Do uh, vacation Bible schools. We do basketball. We do volleyball. And then we pray that these young men and women come to know the Lord and God changes their life. And by the way, I know that you're probably looking at this photo thinking, oh, Eugene, that's like from five years ago. That's actually from a year ago. I did lose some weight, yes. For those of you who do not know me, God is good, amen. We do camp outreach. We actually own a campground. Thank you. You have actually provided us money to build one of the cabins. We are rebuilding currently cabins. We've got 15 already, 16 finished and 15 to go. And as these cabins, we bring about 500 kids through this camp. And for one week, we have an opportunity to speak into their life. We do camps for kids from 14 to 15-year-olds. We do camps from the 15 to 19-year-olds. We do English as second language camps. We do camp apologetics camp that we started last year with Dave, and we're continuing to do that, teaching young men and women to defend their faith in the classroom, especially in university and high school. We come up with all sort of fun games. Now, here's a, you know, a photo with a guy with two cups. That may be, I don't know if, they, if you can do this in America. I was told some of these games are illegal in America because you may get sued or whatever. But you get 11 guys on one team, 11 on the other. So 22 kids. Get them these cups. They don't have any peripheral vision. And give them a soccer ball. And they start running around. Fun to watch. I never played, but fun to watch. I mean, we come up with stuff like, you know, we were told there is a thing as a pinata. We didn't know you had to put candy, so we got some balloons with water and, you know. Apologies to uh, my American, uh, uh, American football fans, uh, my friends. Uh, we didn't know how to play American football. I love American football. I go to see American football. I just like more the experience. I still don't get all the details of the, of the rules. Moldovans figured out, but if we get American football, we get a mop, and we get some soapy water, we can actually create a, an American football hockey kind, kind of a breed. Now, I haven't played that either, but it looks like fun. So we have these young men and women. Of course, we provide fun for them, but mostly we teach them how to worship God. We explain to them about what Christ has done for them. We explain to them about the opportunities. We share our lives with them. And our prayer is that some of them, as they're being discipled from, year, from, from week to week through our ministries, will become missionaries. Some of them will become doctors, lawyers, and hopefully will improve our government. Because you, know, you, you heard of Moldova. Two things, big things in Moldo on, on, on the news about Moldova. Our government was so smart that they stole a billion dollars from our banks, eight of the gross national product of the country in 2014. To the point where we had three banks shut down, our currency went crazy. So now you come and you feel like, uh, like, like you're rich with $1. Probably you know, a little bit of exaggeration, but still. So our country is not doing so well. 
So we're hoping that we're going to get some lawyers, some politicians, and some of these young men and women that will become honest, not corrupt, you know, young men, future of our country. And then we do pray that some of them actually will, uh, and the second news, I said two, two things. The second thing is your American FBI is doing a good job because working with, with, with Moldovan uh, law enforcement, they were able to stop the sale of uranium. And some people, and I'm thinking, I'm, Hollywood is like crazy. They, they're watching the news. Because now there's like TV shows that about uh, Madam Secretary, there's this, this, you know, now she's dealing with Moldovan government. I'm like, nobody ever knew about Moldova. Like George, Grace Bible in Georgetown is probably the only church in, in Texas or in, you know, in, in this town that knows about Moldova because, you know, it takes a Moldovan to come to tell you where it is. And now all these American channels talking about, now I wish they were talking about how great our country is, not how, how corrupt it is. But anyway. We pray that some of them will end up in the seminary. Sorry, I'm chasing rabbit trails here a little bit. But these are Moldova Bible Seminary students. That's a picture from September. We have about, uh, well, 29 students, about 30. These young men and women are trained, over 120 graduates, go and work in former Soviet Union. Today, Moldovans can travel between Oslo, Norway, and Vladivostok, Russia, as far as Afghanistan and Pakistan border. Even furthermore, these young men and women, as they train, they actually have a world vision now. And it's not a secret to you that some of these places where Moldovans go, Westerners are not welcome. You see, the gospel, when, it was, when, when, when the Great Commission was given to us, it doesn't take into account America. It doesn't take into account North Korea. It doesn't take into account Putin or any other regime or any other country that exists. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the earth. So what if you cannot go to North Korea? You have to be my witnesses. So what if Russians don't like you? You will be my witnesses. It doesn't, you know, political things don't matter. Christians have an assignment. We're citizens of heaven with an eternal assignment to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and do this faithfully until the Lord Jesus comes. Amen? Well, we have to become creative then, right? Because if you're an American, come, come, come to, the, to, the, to the border of Russia, they're going to look at you and say, hmm, what are you here for? Well, I'm here to talk, tell people about Jesus. Okay, well, best case scenario, you're deported. Worst case scenario, you get to start a cell ministry. But we can become creative. How about we go to Moldova, send Pastor Dave. He'll train some students. The students can actually travel into Russia without having to have a visa. And they can start churches. And then they, in return, can go to countries maybe like China and North Korea because the Russians are liked in China and North Korea. Right? We can become creative. So that's where the, 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 why the seminary is so important to us. An example, here's Jenya. She comes to the seminary. She says, I want to be a missionary. She begins to go on short-term mission trips. She goes to Russia a lot. Slowly, she, uh, about a year and a half ago, she comes to my office and says, Pastor Jean, I feel like I have to go as a missionary to India. I'm thinking, India? She says, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, you can go to a lot of countries. I mean, Moldovan passport will now let you go, you know. She says, India. So we prayed about it, and it so turned out, you know, it costs about $1,000, $1,500 to send somebody to India for us. And so we found out there was a group of Moldovans being trained to go to India. So she joined the team. I had a church from Scottsdale, uh, from, from, from Scottsdale, Scottsdale Bible Church, contacted me and says, and basically they asked me, do you have an opportunity that came out unexpectedly out of your budget to for, uh, advance the gospel? And I was like, well... She just came to my office a couple of days ago. So I sent them and said, well, I have a student who's wanting to go to India, and it costs about $1,500. Next thing I know, I got a check for $1,500 and a student who wants to go. That was a team. And so Zhenya actually spent this summer, she spent about 30 days with a team working in India, working in New Delhi, 
with the, in the slums, and then eventually she ended up spending most of the time in this Christian school. These Russians went to Nepal, started some ministries, started churches. Their ministry spilled into India in, a, in one of the regions in Darhan, the uh, city of Darhan. They started five home orphanages, and, the, and these kids from orphanages go to this one Christian school, and they're looking for teachers. So Zhenya, being a Russian and English speaker, she comes in and she becomes their English and Bible uh, teacher. She spent their summer, and now she's training upon graduation to actually move to India. Now, whether it's going to happen or not, God's going to provide, or He's going to direct somewhere else. But these are examples of young men and women that make a difference. A graduate of 2001. Anybody here uh, uh, likes San Antonio Spurs? Hey, hey. You know who, who Admiral is, right? All right. Nick, graduate of 2001. In 2000, I thought Nick was not going to graduate. Some between, somewhere between 2000 and 2001, on his last year of the seminary, Nick realized he can use sports as evangelism, and he got on fire. So he started working. As soon as he graduated, he started working for Athletes in Action. He built their ministry uh, for five years, moved to go with SportQuest, became a country director. On some of his travels to Texas, he met David Robinson. But his dream was to actually start his own ministry, and he was so impressed with David Robinson, he asked David if he would allow Nick to use his name uh, or his nickname as uh, a name for his school. So he said, well, do you mind if I start a school that's called Admiral's Academy? I'm sure David Robinson couldn't care less. I mean, use it. I mean, it's not, he's not making money or, of it or whatever. So Nick goes and starts this ministry. Four years ago, he begins this Admiral's Academy. Now it's an actually a team called the Admirals who are playing in Moldova, junior national team. They're rating in the top five teams in the country. They're in the news almost every single week. They, they play professionally. Moreover, they provide training for the young kids. They do drills. They teach them, you know, like, like basketball clinics to recruit into the team. And they're using this to share the gospel. I've got actually right now in the seminary nine guys from Admiral's Academy who came to know the Lord within the last four years through this ministry of Nick. These guys, now, give you an idea. You know, I, 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 you tell a photographer, would you take a photo? Like I'm trying to, you know, to perspective. So he chose a background that you can't even tell how tall these guys are. The gentleman who is an older gentleman in the middle, his name is Tom Shanek. Some of you may have met him. He's the reason actually how Dave and I met. Uh, Tom Shanek is 6'9". Uh, so you can imagine how tall these guys are. So nine of these guys are now learning how to be coaches, and part of their learning is taking seminary education. So they're taking their sixth class starting tomorrow at Moldova Bible Seminary. Now, this is a photo that I'm jealous of. This is Nick and two of my students. Uh, a couple months ago, and the t photo was from Facebook titled, Admirals Having Lunch with an Admiral. I'm like, I want to go there. I want to want my one minute of fame. You know, at least stand next to some fame. But Marcel starts a, a, a year and a half ago in January, comes to me and says, Pastor, I feel like I want to start a ministry. I want to start a church. He's a Romanian speaker, and he knew that we had a passion to uh, possibly start a Romanian-speaking ministry, as more and more Romanian speakers are in Moldova. And I said, okay, Marcel, that sounds a great idea. You would have to, you know, you get a team. We, we figured out a budget. So, you know, I'm thinking somewhere three to six months from now, we may actually start moving somewhere. Marcel goes, okay, team, okay. Three days later, he shows up in my office and says, okay, I have a team. So what do we do now? What do you mean you have a team? Well, I, I go evangelizing to hospital and on the street, and I have these people that go with me all the time. So I just ask them if they want to be on my team, and they said Yes. So now Marcel has a team. This is a photo from September. He's got, got a team of 10, uh, of 10. Actually, it's actually bigger now. They begin to go to hospitals, taking them food bags, visiting, a, a ten, you know, doing evangelism, working with children, 
coming up with all kinds of creative ways, you know, using paintball as a way to evangelize. Now, I have some girls playing paintball. I know it hurts, so I don't, can't imagine why and how they would want to do that because they don't even, don't even regulate those things. They just hurt. But now we know that Marcello is reaching 120, at least 120 people every single week with the gospel, and they didn't even have a church service yet. And the reason is that, and I'll probably mention this, uh, some of you who are on our mailing list, you know that the government kicked us out of the facility that we were in. We were meeting there for 12 years. We were renting from a school. And our government got so corrupt, you know, I just mentioned that they stole money. Well, they sort of don't like Christians. So we were targeted. We were, uh, we, we were told by the director that our church needs to get out. And effective June the 1st, we are homeless. Uh, we found a little spot, a place uh, down the road at a Baptist church. They let us meet there for a little bit. Uh, the pastor got a little bit jealous. Our church is like twice bigger than his. So he felt like we're going to start stealing people from him. So he told us, you have to get out. So we had to go commercial. I'm glad to uh, report to you. I, I don't know if that was, an, uh, was not in an uh, email yet. We actually found a temporary facility that will hold us there for about uh, maybe three to five years. We have a five-year five -year lease, everything official, transparent. And then we're very excited that we will be able to continue to grow the ministry. But our go main goal is to eventually build our own building. Because in Moldova, uh, three days ago, big headline, Eastern Orthodox Church declares war on the sects. Now, if you've never met a cult leader, nice to meet you. Because according to the Eastern Orthodox Church, I'm a cult leader. Anybody who's not Eastern Orthodox is presented as a sect or a cult. And uh, they decided that they're going to oppose us. Uh, the only way for us to continue to effectively exist is to go commercial, which uh, it's legally it's everything is fine as long as you buy the land, as long as government didn't give it to you, or you didn't get it like without paying for it. And so uh, we are looking right now to raise funds over the next three to five years. We're looking for 900 families to um, give us, for one family to give us $2,000 one time, uh, either $167 a month for over one year or a one-time gift, uh, maybe half a gift, uh, but we're looking for 900 families. We need to raise $1.8 million, which is what an average we've estimated is going to cost to buy land and build. Uh, you say $1.8 million is a lot of money, Eugene. I agree with you. But if you think of it as 900 families, 300 families first year, that's like 300 strong Gideons, you know, warriors. That's $600,000 after one year. Another 300 families, that's $1.2 million after two years. And then Three years into it, we believe God is going to provide. Now, somebody can, can write a check and become 100 families. Somebody can probably write a check and just, you know, give us $10 for that. But we are very excited about where the Lord is taking us. And just to kind of give you a perspective, these young men and women, like Nikolai, an orphan. And I, about, about half of our seminary students are right now from orphanage. This young man is the future of our country because he loved, you know, I, I've never met many young people who want to be children's pastors. He is studying to be a children's pastor. He's our second-year student. He goes with his church right now every single week. They have a team, and they go work in the orphanages. This is an orphanage in the northern part of the country. This is an orphanage for the kids with disabilities. And as Nikolai with his friends go, they share the gospel. And because he was an orphan that didn't receive a touch, he wants to be somebody who bring, brings that touch to, to the orphans. Our seminary students work with organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ, Young Life, uh, OM, Operational Mobilization, Stella's Voice, Youth for Christ, Athletes in Action. These are just some of the ones that I thought you would recognize. We work around the world. Seminary graduates actually work in Romania, in Italy, in Russia, in Kyrgyzstan. 
in uh, Uzbekistan, in Kazakhstan, in India. Now, if you think of the... Russia could be a, ma a separate slide of its own because we work in 12 different areas of Russia right now with the seminary students and uh, through, through our connections. I just want to, you to understand, all of this, what I was sharing with you, and I have more and more and more stories, but there's not enough time to share them. It's all possible because missions today is not the West to the rest, but because it's about partnership. It's, missions is everywhere to everywhere. It means that we bring the resources of Moldovans, of people, of passion, with the resources of theological training, sometimes financial resource of the West. And as we look and put the puzzle together, we can see the gospel preached to the ends of the earth. We can come up with creative ways, art school. We can come up with, with, with wonderful things. More of those stuff, you can find out more about it on our website. As you will exit today, there's a little table on the left. I'll stand by the table. There is an actually about 24 cards, 24, 25 cards like this of, with different students. Uh, every, there's like four or five of each. You can come up and pick up one of these cards. It, it will show you their face. We'll tell you their story, how they came to know the Lord. We'll tell you what they're hoping to be. You can commit to, to pray for them for one year. This way you can not, not only commit, to, uh, not, not only be part of our ministry by me coming and, uh, and preaching once a year and you hearing about it and, you know, saying amen, but you can actually have a physical way of praying every week for one seminary student. You can also pick up a fresh uh, prayer card from my wife and I and uh, Put it on your refrigerator and continue to pray for us. And we're so excited about how the Lord blesses us. And we're so thankful to you for being part of the ministry in Moldova. We're so excited to share the eternal reward of serving our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you again, you cannot do it and I cannot do it. But if you let, if you just let, Christ can do it through us. So let's stand and pray together and give this to our Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you and praise you today. Lord, I worship and adore you. I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, for the generosity of this church, for the blessing that they've been for us, and as they bless Dave when he comes and teaches, as they've been part of this camp ministry, and as they've been part of our personal lives and ministries and a number of other ministers from our church. Lord, I thank you so much for this wonderful fellowship, Lord, and I ask you, Lord, that you bless and fill this church with your spirit. I ask you, Lord, that you uh, allow us to remember to completely yield to you. And as Lord, we, 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 cannot, we, we, we cannot love. We cannot love the way you've called us to. There's not enough in us. But Lord, if we just let you, you will love with your perfect unconditional love. And Lord, we, we cannot raise millions of dollars. But Lord, you know, you know. You know the heart. And I know that you can. Lord, sometimes these mountains, they seem like they're, 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 they're too huge. You cannot climb them. But, Lord, there's no mountain that big that you cannot just say and move. You are the creator of the universe. You are the creator of our lives, Lord. I ask you for your blessing on this church, on every heart, crying out to you, Lord Jesus, live through me. Be my Lord and Savior. Lead me. Lord, thank you so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.